No Guts, No Galaxy is recorded in front of a live studio audience. This is an adult podcast containing adult language. Consider yourself warned. Welcome to the No Guts, No Galaxy Mechware podcast. It's number 19. My name is Phil, and I'm your host. It is March 11th, 2012, and I'm going to give a shout-out to our special future guest in this upcoming Wednesday podcast, and uh, I think I'm just going to leave it at that, so hopefully you guys uh, be there, live audience. Darren, who do you got? Hey, this is Darren, a.k.a. Bombadil. Um, give a shout-out to my family, as well as my buddies in Aces, uh, World of Tanks, and... Uh, of course, all the mech games. Yeah, you guys look like we've exploded in numbers. I'm like, who are these people? All they're right, guys, aces. We have a, yeah, they're aces. They're us, but are they? Boys, we have a very special podcast today. Um, this is going to be uh, quite a few uh, in the near future with uh, guests. And I've got uh, William King O'Leary himself, uh, that many of you guys know on uh, previous podcasts. But also with him, I've got his... Um, uh, would it be your right hand man, left hand? I mean, both hands. I have this worth. Uh, I've got more partner in crime. Toth. Yeah, Toth with us. Uh, and so, um, you guys, do you want to say hi, King? Well, hello. This is Lair Swill again. I'm back again for another No Guts No Galaxy. So, uh, thank you guys for having me here. Welcome. Yeah. Yep. And Morgan. Um, you know nice to have you aboard sorry about the like uh time frame he's in uh germany and so you know he's you know it's like what already nine or something there it's like yeah it's uh it's the left grade 30. yeah hi this is um uh, morgan uh known as top uh with the mechware project i've been around about as long as king a little bit longer maybe. good to have you slightly longer and so Slightly some long. background about you guys, uh, let's just kick it right into the, this program is uh, we're going to be sitting down with these two guys today and basically breaking down um, what MWLL is, uh, how to start, who, what, when, why, all that, and basically what they've done and what they still plan to do. Um, and this is going to be probably about an hour long uh, recording. So sit back, grab your beer, and uh, hopefully enjoy. So first off, I want to ask um, Toth. Uh, I'm going to call you Morg from here on out, just so everyone knows. How did you get involved with the mod and as far as um, maybe your your employer right now? Can you give us some background on that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I was in a very different field before this, and I'd always been interested in um, the game industry, of course. But before, in biotech, it was a um, totally different field, but still programming work. And um, I had an opportunity to do something in my free time. Um, I looked at MechWare Living Legends. I'd always been a fan of MechWare, like obviously most people here. Um, and I uh, saw they needed programmers. I said pretty desperately at that point. Um, so I joined. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. um, I did a lot of work uh, in a short amount of time. Learned a lot. Um, learned a lot about CryEngine, about uh, game programming in general. Um, once after we got through the beta process. Um, one of the one of my colleagues on MWL at the time, he's not here, but um, Kamikaze, said they had a position at Crytek. He put my name in, and um, so I applied. 
went through the interview process and was hired. And that's how I really got in the industry. So, I mean, without MechWarrior Living Legends, it would have been almost impossible, to be honest. I mean, I, I could have still gotten in the industry, but it wouldn't have been the same way. It wouldn't have been certainly directly to Crytek. So, uh, you said you were in the biotech industry, yes? Yes. So, how does programming for the gaming industry differ from the biotech industry? Is it uh, more fun for you, or is it all just code? Does it not matter? I think um, they're both can have very challenging problems, which for me is the most important part and I think for most programmers. But I think definitely with the problems when game creation, they're more, just more creative problems. I mean, it's not creative in the sense of an artist creating a new character or something like that in a game, but it's still very creative problems that can change very quickly. And the nice cool. thing about uh, modding, I think in general with programming, it may be a little weird to get into if you don't have a lot of free time or I don't know, you want to work in some other aspect of the software industry, but um, you really have say in what you want to do, more or less. You have complete control. So it means if you have the um, wherewithal to learn, you can learn a lot. And so not only you have been hired by Crytek through this mod, um, the original founders as well. And so I guess that leads into my next question is like, how did this project start? And I mean, you mentioned Kamikaze, but I also know that there was there was two originally involved. Uh, can you guys just give us a little quick rundown of how that started? Yeah, um, there were two brothers, um, Sean and Dan Tracy, otherwise known as Criminal and Kamikaze. Um, they both started the mod a long time ago, like I think coming on five years. Um, and it was originally a totally different engine. If I remember right, it was Battlefield 2142. They did some initial tests to try to get uh, some sort of mech into the game. And while they were able to get something running, there just wasn't enough flexibility within the engine to do what they wanted to do. I think in terms of both map size and the number of vehicles and making them modular, which was the other big thing. Uh, so then when Crisis 2, or sorry, Crisis 1, of course, came out with the modest DK, they saw that opportunity and decided to switch over. Um, they, as you said, are they're the founders. They got the original team together. Uh, I came in about three and a half, four years ago. So still quite early on in the project. Um, basically at that point, there were a lot of good ideas, but there wasn't really a solid game at all yet. There wasn't, I mean, we didn't actually have mechs working or any of the gameplay or radar or anything else like that. It was just the bare minimum. But the good thing is the Mod SDK gave us a ton of flexibility. I mean, honestly, I don't think there's any other engine out there that would have let us do all the things we've tried to do, at least in terms of a mod. And I mean, um, I remember when you guys, or I, the project actually went public as far as uh, forms and posting and stuff. I remember I was as giddy as Darren uh, when it came to him being at GDC this past week. And I remember there was a lot of speculation that um, you guys couldn't pull it off. Like, wasn't um, the mod in general thought to be, it couldn't, you guys couldn't create packs or create vehicles. Like, there was a lot of, uh, I guess, just, Skepticism, I guess. The naysayers. Yeah, and I, I can, I totally understand that. It's really hard as a mod team. I mean, I can say for us, it was almost impossible at times. Um, not necessarily because the problems are unsolvable, but they require very creative problem solving and requires a lot of dedication, just basically bashing your head against the wall, saying, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to find a way and trying different ideas. And the problem is in any volunteer effort, it's really hard to get people to do that. Not because they don't care, but because any volunteer work, especially of this variety or a creative thing, there are almost always other priorities. I mean, we all have real lives outside of the project. I mean, you know, even then, before I was in the game industry, I had other things. I don't think there's anybody in the project who can dedicate all day, every day on it. What 
You mean you don't sit around 24 7 and work on the mod? <laughs> I think there's a lot of misconceptions as far as what it means to be on a mod team. I think um, a lot of players think that, oh, that'll just mean I'm playing more. But the reality, once maybe once they see what it is to even be a tester or whatever, um, comes as a surprise. And so I can understand that it would be very difficult to um, keep a team together and keep them productive and so forth. The I mean, truth is, you play less. <laughs> yeah, you play, you play less. Yes, absolutely. And it's an unfortunate thing because you really stay with it, especially since we've gone through beta releases. Now it's important to keep playing, but it becomes very difficult just because you're trying to do work, you're trying to be involved in the project, and you're trying to do stuff in your real, real life, like your job and whatever else. So it's very hard to juggle all those things. I think for mod teams, that is the number one blocking thing: is that you have to be able to. I mean, I think it's what we did really well. You have to be able to very quickly flow with the resources you have available with you at any time. So you might have a lot of programming support at one time, you might have a lot of artists, or you might have people that are able to do the work for the HUD, and you have to be able to reprioritize goals and be able to say, okay, we're working on this, but we don't have enough manpower for it, so we're going to put it on the back burner and said we're going to do this. And that's really what I think MWL has been about since the beginning. We've been very, very efficient at using the resources we have available. So as one of my gunnery sergeants used to say you have to be like semper gumby and that was you had to be flexible and you had to bend and move with the moment so uh william can you tell me a little bit about uh if someone's never played this game um what is the game like as far as the experience and i mean what sort of uh, what are you guys shooting for i mean what is the game shot for to like sort of bring to life in the in the battle tech universe all right. Well, the, I mean, the the canned single sentence response would be: We are a multiplayer combined arms simulation action shooter game uh, based within the BattleTech MechWarrior uh, intellectual property universe. So, if you have wanted to play a mech game that has more than just mechs, then we're exactly that. Uh, we have tanks, we have aerospace, we have VTOLs, we have battle armor. Uh, we have multiple game modes that you can play. Um, we have attempted as best as possible to filter and translate the balance from prior MechWarrior games as well as CBT um, in a fashion that works for our game space. So we're not, we've never actually tried to be a literal mirror of either CBT or of prior MechWarrior games. We are our own thing. And I'm actually pretty proud of where we've gotten with, you know, maintaining that stance and when you say you're your own thing uh, obviously you're saying that um uh, you know you obviously you, you probably use the the cannon or whatever's been done as sort of like a foundation like oh, okay well they have armor you know damage but then you go in there and you create your own systems to sort of represent that am i correct in saying that sort of correct Okay. We, we reference, I use CBT as a reference for a lot of things as we do um, technical design and feature design. But some things don't translate directly very easily and some things don't tr translate at all. So we either, you know, it's, it's Chinese buffet. We, we pick and choose what we like and what works for us and we leave the rest. So. <laughs> yeah, it's not really about necessarily whether we like something from CBT or not. It really comes down to what works in a game. And there are a lot of things where we've had to do a lot of iterations of just finding what works. And there are a lot of things that you said that just simply don't work from CBT. It's not a question of whether we like it or not. I think a lot and, of people don't get that. I, you know, th there's a lot of 
fanatics that you know they they want to see everything uh, come from CBT and they just don't understand the game balance issues and that it, you know if it were the way they wish it were it wouldn't it just wouldn't be a fun game um, and yeah I think you guys have created a great balance I know that myself coming from you know Mech Warrior Four and then years and years and years of not playing anything um, I was so excited when I did finally find your product and um, and actually that's how I met Phil here but uh, it's anybody who has a, a background of enjoying any of the especially the first-person shooter uh, mech titles um, I think there's a lot here to be had and um, you know that's what we keep telling our listeners uh, it's the best mech game out there right now and you know it's, it's funny um, that the community has been so positive uh for the most part since since i started to get into mwl and uh you know i did meet you darren actually i think it was a dusty world of you know mechs and guns and weapons i think it was i think it was death valley um <laughs> but yeah and I, I think one of the things heck i mean uh, even like uh, other products i mean such as uh mac tech or even mwo mech war tactics they got to look at what their goal is and, and to create some of these systems like, um, you know, you guys have a unique uh, system with laser damage and laser mechanics. You have an awesome system, I think, with ballistics and UACs and LBX and how they work. But that doesn't just transfer over right from the, the tabletop, guys. And I, I don't, uh, for the listeners out there, um, you know, you've got to create actual systems that... Um, are realistic in some aspects and you don't have that realism per se actually on in writing but you have to you have to create it and so um what are some of the biggest challenges as far as a team that you guys have faced um you know like is it just been retention of your members um you tend to like myself i mean i've helped you guys out obviously with the, the storm crow release uh is it one of those things where you'll get members who join and then they get hired by companies or they get in the industry or they disappear i mean uh well, you mean you want to answer that for yeah. me? well that's certainly an aspect of working with a volunteer team you know we'll, we'll bring people on and there's always an onboarding period where you you're training someone to your standards you're training them up for uh, the needs of the engine and uh, being able to produce game appropriate assets in terms of performance or you know getting them to understand where the code base is uh, and then um, you know you you can't necessarily have hold someone to produce for you so we do have a certain amount of turnover and that becomes frustrating it makes it difficult to it makes it difficult to have longer term plans in terms of um, scheduling features and that sort of thing I, I right now I could make a project plan that says you know we're gonna have uh, some particular feature let's say, mech lab or internal damage or, or whatnot within three or four months and that is all really subject to the availability of the volunteer team and the composition of that team as we go along for example i might not have any programmers in two months for whatever reason there's no way to even predict or know that and in, in such case those features would have to be sidelined and held off for later that being the case we might have a whole lot of modelers we're going to start producing more um, playable assets so, and we've had that in the past where we didn't have the personnel to be able to produce mechs. So we switched over and started doing tanks. And then the people who were available to do the animations for the mechs came back and we started putting more mechs back into the mix. So 
What would you say the biggest challenges are uh, as far as the community goes? I know the community is a big aspect of the game, and um, when I was, you know, playing uh, MWL every day, that's the part I loved, you know, the community-run tournaments and, um, you know, the built-in competitiveness. And um, But what would you say the challenges are with the community? Ooh, you're going to answer this one. Um... <laughs> He's going to be in deep water after <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it's well, you know, as far as, like, um, expectations, you know, realism as far as, uh, you know, what, basically what they expect and, and the work that has to go into bring the features that they want and so forth. And I was going to say the community never, I'd say my one observation about the community is that uh, they always expect more than we deliver. Like, I've never, we've never had a release where the community said, oh, my goodness, you over-delivered. Um, it's always been, we did a really good job. But where's where's X? Where's Y? Where's Z? Um, so now, where's that's my the urban map? That I would observe about our community, and that's good. That means that they enjoy what we're doing. It means they're always looking forward to the next thing, and they're they're going to keep coming back until they actually get it. So you know, they they say good. that uh, a good piece of art is going to you know create emotion one way or the other. Um, it's when people are indifferent that you know you're not making an impact. Um, so at least you know if there's passion there, that means that they care. Now. T Toth and, and William or do you think that sentiment with the community though is really MWO community or do you think that's just sort of gamers in general now on the, the internet I, or, you know? I think it's yeah I think personally it's gamers in general because we all get so many releases these days for every genre really um, maybe more for like first person shooters in the last few years but the reality is that People have come to expect a lot from games. Uh, I think games in general have become maybe maybe they don't always have brand new features, but they're almost always polished these days. Polished animations, polished menus, save and load, all these little features that people don't even think anymore that they come to expect. And I can say from working in the games industry now that all of those things take a lot of work and a lot of time. All the things you don't even think about anymore, and they don't come for free. And I think this problem, one of the biggest problems with mods, is you have to somehow still fulfill those expectations. Um, uh, even though you don't have nearly as many resources, and you guys uh, are held up to the same expectations as a, almost like a real like paid development team. I mean, it seems sort of. I mean, you've already hinted on it. Like they expect that out of you, but they don't also realize you're doing this on your own time, and maybe even own learning curve as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've done it to ourselves to some degree because we try to hold ourselves to a, to a high standard. That's the reason we've been able to consistently put out pretty high quality content but um, yeah it definitely is, is a problem I think for me personally the biggest problem has been that uh, when you look at the community's responses to some of our releases they look at everything very very narrowly like from that release um, when the reality is when we're trying to plan this out we're trying to do it over the long term so like for this is one of my personally for me it's never been about nerfing things to create some sort of balance it's about adding features to hit the balance that you want so if something is overpowered that means you have to have another feature that's probably already in there but just maybe not balanced right to counteract that and often a lot of our things are long term so it might not be one or two releases away it might be four releases away before we can put everything in there before we have that time but people tend to get a release get it in their hands and say oh this doesn't work this is this broken it should be like this and what they often want to do is limit the scope of things to hit to them what is the, the correct target, but it doesn't at all match what we're trying to do, and it isn't gonna. And we can't give them that in the immediate future. But it, just telling people that you have to be patient, you have to wait, is, is very hard. It almost a never works. 
Yeah, a good example of what's, I mean, of that would be one of the things that we've wanted for a long time was to be able to have imparted momentum from ballistic and missile hits um, as a balancing mechanic for alpha strikes, both performing them and receiving them. Um, right now, when you get hit by a large ballistic in the game, there's very little screen shake and it doesn't really deviate your aim all that much. Similarly, when firing weapons, um, large ballistics, you can trigger an alpha strike, you can shoot off two AC-20s at the same time, and it really doesn't do much to you as a player for having done so. Um, we do have a plan to introduce that, that, type of, that type of feature where we're actually uh, rotating the mech's torso and deviating the player's aim and introducing more screen shake, um, some combination of those factors as a balancing mechanic as opposed to nerfing the weapon or introducing something else that's artificial to limit or reduce um, alpha striking. We, we want the we want to have a mechanic such that you can actually do an alpha strike, but there is a negative consequence for doing so as opposed to simply saying you can't do them. You know, gotcha, you, gotcha. Get Give the player the choice. But yeah, every, everything in our game is trying to be about it being you always have the choice, you just have to deal with the consequences. We don't want to have that gamey feel of Oh, you just can't do this because we don't have a better way to, to balance things. So people, give these guys a break. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're trying to make a game that's uh, fun for everyone, and I think they've totally succeeded in that. And, um, yeah, you know, it's definitely worth checking out if you haven't played it yet. Um, so why don't we move on and talk about the initial release? So, I mean, the game um, went out in or as far as from original release in 2009, December. Um, were you guys uh, involved with that? As, I mean, as far as that back then? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. What, what was the ni initial reception from the community? In that? Yeah, I, I missed that. Could you take us yeah. back to that uh, that release? Um, well, yeah, we had uh, 20,000 downloads in the first couple hours. Something ridiculous. It was, it was. We maxed out the bandwidth on our servers. Like my, I had a server that had, uh, I had two terabytes of bandwidth, and it got chewed through in less than a day for downloads. <laughs> so nice. there was an enormously rabid response to us getting that out there. It um, must have been exciting. Very. It was very exciting. It was. It was a great relief. Um, to me that we actually were able to say hey we got this out everyone said we couldn't do it and we did it so no matter what happened after that point i always will be able to look back at that and say grand success now as far as yeah. the initial release um i mean what was the community's reaction i mean was it like oh shit you know like uh, blown away i mean it, you know i mean take take us back i mean for for those who weren't there I think it was it was a mixture of things from all different parts of the community. I think by and large everybody was impressed. There was no doubt about that. I don't think anybody said, oh, this is a terrible mod or anything like that. Um, there were a lot of really excited people and we immediately, I mean, we had a community before that, but I think based on our forum visits and everything else, definitely our, our community just exploded in size. Um, it was a mixture of things too. One of the big problems for us was, and it still is now and then, um, a problem with crashes. Um, we've had obviously the game crashing for one reason or another um, and on the initial beta release it was it was a big problem because frankly there's no way as a mod team based on the scope of the project that we had enough testers to be able to catch everything or even the tools in place to be able to determine why things were crashing because it could crash for various regions including problems with just CryEngine because as powerful as CryEngine is it's a pretty complicated beast 
Um, so that was that was one problem that I think turned away a lot of initial people. Not that they thought it was bad, just like, oh, I'm sitting here and I'm playing and the game crashes every half hour. So I love what I get, but it's interrupted. And I'd say then we also had some smaller, smaller but still vocal parts of the community that played it and said it's pretty neat, but it's not CBT enough for us, so we won't play it. Which I think is a very unfortunate thing because those people, I don't know, maybe they've come back over time, but I think they could be a very key linchpin of the community. You know, in the same the breath, we had uh, we had another vocal element of the community that was expecting MechWarrior 5 um, from our mod, and because we included things beyond just the mechs, and we actually balanced those other assets to be competitive with the mechs as they are supposed to be, um, it did not meet their expectations of, well, I want to be in a mech and I should dominate the battlefield, so why am I getting destroyed by a tank? Uh, yeah, so... they'd never had any experience. Exactly. We had problems with both sides of the community. People that were super duper die diehard CBT fans and people that were maybe diehard MechWarrior fans or even just passing MechWarrior fans that didn't know anything about CBT, so they really had no perspective. Maybe some of them even only played Mech Assault and they were used to walking around in that game in the single player and blowing up mechs in one shot with a machine gun, so it made it very hard to please all crowds, and I think everybody was impressed initially, but not everybody had the game that they were expecting. And this would... was based on Crisis originally, correct? I mean, this this was Vanilla Crisis, that's what you bought to yeah. play the mod. It hadn't moved over to what is now Crisis Wars. Yeah, yeah. Crisis Wars was available at the time when we did the release. It wasn't available at the time when the uh, mod was originally, I guess, when the work originally began on on creating the mod, so um, Crisis was about we. Can you tell us why there was a switch? Like, I mean, to maybe maybe not go as far as all the technical, but I mean, obviously, I'm sh that's probably the main reason was the technical aspects. I mean, why did you go from Crisis to Crisis Wars? It was an updated engine was a big thing, so we were hoping and we were successful to some degree of fixing crashes that were inherent in the engine because. There was no other way for us to update the engine DLLs, I think, from the renderer to the system and all that. Um, so that was definitely one aspect. I think there were some tools that were better in Sandbox for the designer, uh, for the level designer. Um, and it was also because when we looked at the player base online of Crisis versus Crisis Wars, there were just simply more people playing Crisis Wars games. And we realized at some point we were going to have to make a choice. Um, and it was better to do it earlier on after the release rather than waiting too long. So one of the big drivers for moving to Crisis Wars was also um, two features. One, which became immediately apparent, was the availability of the map auto-downloader feature, mm -hmm. which um, enabled the community. I mean, it didn't work on our initial Crisis Wars release, but we did get it integrated eventually. Um, the ability for the community to make their own maps and have them automatically downloaded from a, an internet source um, greatly expanded the number of maps available, you know, got the community more involved. And the second one, which we still haven't made use of yet, but will be coming soon, is uh, dual wielding. And that's going to be a feature that upcoming Battle Armor will make use of, which should be pretty interesting. Now, a Mech Warrior based game that uh, where you're also able to play uh, Battle Armor, as you just said, and uh, tanks and uh, air units and so forth. That's pretty unique. Um, what made you guys decide to go that direction? Uh, you know, I know that uh, the community, it's, it's probably a, a mixed bag. There's people that love it and people that aren't so happy about it. But uh, I really was impressed, even though I'm, you know, at, at heart I'm a mech guy. Um, I do jump into the other assets from time to time and um, fail miserably, but I have a good time. What made you guys decide to go that route? 
Um, well, it, it was a mixture of reasons. I think at the heart, the founders um, really were huge fans of Battlefield at the time. I mean, they were obviously huge fans of MechWarrior as well, but um, so they really saw the possibility of giving you the multiple roles. For me, that was also one of the things I thought when I joined was part of the reason I joined the mod is it wasn't just another MechWarrior title because honestly, just updating the graphics and having more mechs fighting mechs, it's, it's cool, don't get me wrong, but at some point it's it's more of the same. So I think for us, it was a big attempt to expand on the concept of, of mech multiplayer. Um, or CBT multiplayer, shall we say. And I, I oh. think it just... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think that's a, a key point you just brought up is... Um... There's been no other game except the actual tabletop that's it, that has brought all of those things into a game. And I mean, really, you guys are the I think the first ones. I mean, to have the ability to be aerospace, to be a tank, you can be that battle armor, or you can hop in that mech. And that's what BattleTech is. I mean, and you guys did say it yourself. There's part there's parts of the community or members that didn't want to play because it wasn't too CBT, but Technically, if you really want to consider it, if you just have mechs, that's not CBT. That's just having mechs on the battlefield, and that's it. CBT involves all the logistics and all the units. And I mean, I mean uh, yeah, you know, and I have a lot of friends that play, you know, whatever BF3, uh, World of Tanks, and and that's the one thing I always tell them, and and flight sims too. And I, you know, I say you've got to check out this game. There's something for everybody in here, you know. Um, and I know players that have been playing MWL for quite a long time, and they don't jump in mechs. They love their aerospace, or they love their tanks, or even the battle armor. And and uh, I think that's a really unique experience, and and why I think people should really uh, give this game a shot if they haven't yet. Um, it's it's something unique to the Mech Warrior and BattleTech titles that have come out, and it's a lot of fun. All right, guys. So. Obviously, since the release until now, there's been a tremendous man. Literally, the, the list is too long to talk about all in detail. Let's talk about upcoming stuff and just now release stuff. Um, on the first thing uh, I want to ask you guys is the HUD. Obviously, we mentioned it in last week's podcast, and, you know, we dropped the ball. You know, it was Flying Debris who initially started the concepts. And where was some of the inspiration that he took, or like what, what was the team's goal as far as implementing the HUD? Because I've already seen it, I've seen it for a while, and it looks amazing. There's huge functionality to it, a lot of information. William, you wanna you wanna talk about that for a little bit? Well, the I guess the current beta release HUD, as we as we talk right now, does not have nearly the facilities that we need for upcoming features, things that we want to include. Um, you know, as we go forward. So it, that in itself uh, mandated that we actually have a redesign of some sort. The other part of it is that the, the flash SDK source that we get from the mod SDK is not really the greatest it, in terms of being able to work with it easily. There's many, many hundreds of files. Some of them are redundant. Some of them don't perform very well. And um, that necessitated a technical rewrite, even if we didn't make any aesthetic changes. We wanted to have more cohesiveness between the mech HUD and the battle armor HUD. I don't know if we've mentioned it, but this you know, earlier in the mod lifespan, we had actually upgraded the battle armor HUD to be much more aesthetically pleasing. It had more information on it. It definitely had more of a look and feel of actually being inside of a battle armor helmet 
if you will, and we wanted to bring that feel forward for the mechs and the other assets in the game. So since Flying Debris did the Battle Armor HUD and the um, that that feel, it would it's only natural to actually have him do the mech HUD and the tank HUD and the aerospace HUD as well as a revisit. And Toth, from the programming standpoint, what sort of obstacles has has the HUD been um, for you guys in general? Oh, wow. Um, the biggest one by far and away is just finding people to do Flash programming work, or Flash slash C++ programming work. Very hard, because usually those people are not interested in doing any sort of game programming, or they're only interested in doing like game game programming stuff that actually shows up. Why is it so hard to find Flash programmers? I've heard this time after time after time. People just hate programming in Flash, or what is that? I think in general, yeah, if you're a programmer, it's... You either hate it because it's not what you want to do, or you're probably more interested in doing something that's for like a website or something like that, more of a practical, straightforward programming project rather than something that's like game-oriented. Because with a lot of stuff in game-oriented, it's a lot of iterative work, a lot of changes, a lot of redoing the things you've already done. We don't necessarily always have, I mean, we try, and obviously I think with the new Mac code we've done a better job, but it's always hard up front to know exactly what you want. I see this as well in the industry, having worked there, that it's, it's the same problem. Um, so yeah, it just seems to be uh, it's a seems to be a tough one. Now I I, I loved uh, it was fun because you know being a part of the team and seeing the the screenshots early on and then you guys released them I was like oh thank God I can at least you know talk about them now. The I love it because and if you haven't checked them out I mean do so look at the pictures obviously they'll be going in uh, later uh, but tanks like have a uh, unique mechs have unique uh, HUD. Uh, everything has its own different perspective as far as the actual like three-dimensional look and the, the systems um, and you guys went a step further with not just the HUD implementation as far as new like like what it looks like you actually have functionality in it as well I mean am I correct like that hasn't we haven't really seen um, all the bells and whistles yeah, not all the bells and whistles are even done, to be honest. It's, I mean, we wanted to show you something that was work in progress, and all the major features are there, so we're actually using it in the alpha. But yeah, there's a lot of features that um, we're still implementing at the same time that the HUD is designed to support, and also not just like, not just programmatically, but also in terms of raw design that we couldn't really force into the old HUD. Awesome. So there you have, obviously, when more news comes and when they do go public i mean you guys will be able to see and actually experience these and i think it adds a whole another level of uh, you know realism to each asset and as far as the the type of asset um, another thing you guys are working on um, is battle armor now how how are you wanting battle armor to like what is the role of battle armor in mechware living legends they well battle armor is actually probably the one asset that doesn't have as defined a role as the others do. Um, like for example, we don't have a game mode that specifies the need for a particular battle armor to be present. Um, you can go and harass other assets with them. You can get into some places that other assets can't go, but there's really no reason to go there other than to be a harassment. So That's what I was going to say. They're the, the pesky little nuisances that are always shooting you and you can't find them. Going forward, we will have game modes that actually necessitate their presence, and also there will be more uh, faceting within their role. So we are actually bringing on a couple new battle armor. They're very much in progress, 
um, actually quite far along the Corona and the Phalanx. So we have some test renders of them and actual animation sets. Um, I would like to show off at the media release, not too distant future. Can but, you tell us um, what's going to be different about the Corona and Phalanx? Um, for one, if you choose to go that they'll, route... They'll look badass, that's what. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, what more do you need? Number one, totally <laughs> look badass. Number two, um, probably make you really, really upset if you run into them in your uh, regular battle armor on the battlefield. Um, but uh, Corona and Phalanx, defined as heavy battle armor, they're being defined as a dedicated role. If you choose to go Phalanx or Corona, you're not going to be able to board vehicles. Um, you're going to have access to an extended weapon set. Um, there'll be some additional weapons that standard battle armor simply don't get. Um, you'll be able to do things like dual wield, you'll be able to carry more. Um, your movement behavior will be different. Instead of uh, the, the jump jet type movement behavior, we're, we're looking at having them be more of a bounding type behavior. So you don't get quite the height, but they'll move faster in a, more, in a horizontal fashion and they'll, you know, to reflect their additional mass. I have a feeling um, they'll know the crap out of me. Yeah. They'll, be, they'll be a fair bit tougher to take on. Like, if you run into a heavy BA and he's fully kitted out and ready to go, you're going to have a fight on your hands. So it they're going to be doesn't matter what you're in. more of a presence on the battlefield. Yes. Um, and in terms of gameplay, we would like to have gameplay modes where having BA um, present does things like unlock particular areas or allow you to set charges or allow you to take down defenses and in order to access those areas you would need to go in as a battle armor so would you go in as a regular battle armor would you go in as a dedicated battle armor that'll be a choice you'll need to make awesome, awesome. and now with 5.6 you guys are going to be you know you already announced the opponent and stuff like that can you tell us a little bit more about the role the opponent will have? Like what niche, or, or is it just another asset that, you know, it's like... Um, more choice. Awesome. Yeah, more choice. Uh, the opponent has tested very well in actually performing um, anti-air rolls. It has a significant amount of turret pitch, uh, and it mounts things like the LBX-10 on that turret. So if you're in aerospace and you're anywhere near one of those opponents, it generally ends very badly for you. Um, Good. Good. It's like shooting you're clay pigeons. You're gonna um, die. <laughs> balancing the opponent's been kind of a challenge because it's it's 50 tons. It mounts a fair bit of armor. It's quick. Um, it gets around pretty nimbly on the battlefield. It's not limited by tracks like many of the other assets are. And it mounts a fair bit of armor, so that's made it more expensive actually than you know you would expect a 50-ton asset to be. But the role it plays, it is a pursuit tank, as far as I'm concerned. It's the if if you're in a Hephaestus and you want to take it one step further, that's the opponent. Okay, so it's got the speed, it's got the armor, and it's got the armament to to be a nuisance and to keep up. Um, with the uh, Epona, you've got that for scheduled for five six, five seven. Um, you also, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, you did the, you know, Black Liner reveal and the Storm Crow. Is, are we going to be seeing any of those in 5.7? Five, 5.7 seven? Five, seven is Black Liner, and then anything else that happens to be ready at the time, but 5.7 is targeted for Black Liner. Black Liner is basically done right now, as far as I've seen and as far as I've tested. The animations are completed. The textures have all been completed, uh, high poly, low poly, technical design's been completed, um, all the helpers have been done. We're actually going to have a new um, tr 
a new weapons pod that'll go out with the Black Lantern, so we'll be able to start using that on other assets also. Um, that'd be a small tripod, which is something we've never had before. Uh, but yeah, 5.7 Black Liner, I can't wait. That thing is just a beast. Yeah, so as much scary. as I love the work filled in on the Storm Crone, I do. Um, that Black okay. Liner is sexy. I cannot wait to Don't jump into that. <laughs> I'm not lying. They're both incredible mechs, but uh, the Black Liner, man, that's just going to be uh, a fun mech to play, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of thrilled about both of them, to be honest, just, just because uh, they're mediums, they're fast, they're armored, and it, of course with the Black Liner and what Vlad's done with it, just looks just menacing and, mm -hmm. you know, um, awesomeness in, you know, the, the medium range. And which I think in general, uh, a lot of people have been just buying for is, you know, more clan mediums. You know, we've got, yep. you have the Shadow Cat and yeah, it's awesome. It can do a ton of things, but it's still just one chassis. So. Yeah, it's the hard thing. There's so many different categories that hit, especially because we're trying to support both IS and clan. Um, and yeah, clan mediums have definitely been a been insufficient up until now. So we're hoping with the Black Lantern and then the Storm Crow that, that should should hopefully round that out. And give a little clan out. love. Exactly. I mean, and we so still have this. Should I say the, what the third one is? Because we've been teasing it. So I don't know. It's well, really far off long to talk about. We, we did is. confirm. We did confirm that you guys are introducing introducing a hunchback. I mean, obviously the picture was quite clear what it was, but the speculation is: is it just a interstellar version, or is it the clan version? Because you guys sort of like blurred out to where you sort of could see, but you couldn't really. I mean. Uh, do you want to confirm we are getting the Hunchback and the 2C, or just the 2C and not the Hunchback? What's going on here? Give us some love. That's just the 2C right now. So, Clan's going to have a full bracket for mediums. Boom! There you have it. <laughs> that makes oh uh, Phil happy. Well, no, not really, because that thing's going to sh oh? shoot the crap. I mean, think about it. Two UAC-20s, or heavy AC. <laughs> Holy shit. I know a lot of people that that's going to make happy. Alex, yeah. our engineer, he's he's a hunchback pilot. Yeah, he loves the damn thing. So obviously, it doesn't fit my play style. I'm 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 the one pestering sniper and all that fun stuff on the outers. But uh, you know, it, it works. So there you have it. Hunchback 2C confirmed by William Kingler himself. Awesome guys. Now, what other assets are you guys working on that you want to talk about? I know you mentioned something possibly about aerospace lately on the forums you want to elaborate on that Todd do you want to run with this because I just talk all the time if you don't stop me okay um well I mean we have at least two new ones coming out um the Visigoth and the Corsair um there's a third one that's in progress but I guess we should wait to talk to until it's complete um so yeah we're trying to round out the aerospace I mean our ultimate goal is still to one day be able to have IS versus clan mode function so that you can actually play the two sides against each other and have fun. It's very hard to do though if both sides don't have all of the missing pieces. And one of them is definitely aerospace with the IS having uh, the Shiva. Um, actually, so I think we should just have less and less of those. That's, that's what I think. <laughs> <They're evil. laughs> he's he's no a problem. Mac purist. So yeah. how, do, how do the Visigoth I, and the Corsair I, round out the aerospace? What, what are their roles? Um, well, um, yeah, actually, King, you want to take this one? 
Yeah, I can do that. Uh, the Corsair is an error interceptor. Error interceptor. It, uh, it's been outfitted, at least for our testing, with very good um, anti-error um, interceptor loadouts. So things like four UAC or four AC5s rather, UAC5s would be too much. Um, a couple of Rack Twos and some SRMs make short work of just about anything else in the sky. Um, it, we have a couple of loadouts that have large beam lasers and ER medium beams. So once again, you can go up, you can duel it out with uh, Shivas and Sulas and uh, come out on top if you like, because you actually have a, a little bit more armor than than the um, Sula, and uh, you have a fair bit more maneuverability than the Shiva. Visigoth is really harder to speak to. It's uh, it's heavier. It's going to be able to do, I guess, it'll be a, a combination of, it can be configured as either a bomber, or it can be configured as a ground attack. It doesn't really have the maneuverability to do air-to-air -air, um, counters, but that's what you would use the Sula for, so we already have that role fulfilled. You know, That's new huge. assets are always fun in any game, uh, but <laughs> hearing about more and, and, and powerful aerospace, boy, that just makes me... Uh, oh. Cringe. Especially when you're yeah. like, fly over and you're like... You could just hear them coming and you know what's... Yeah. And you, you there's... You you just it, it's the pucker factor. You're like son of it is. And, you know, and this thing. is coming from two Mac purists, and, and you just know I you're am. gonna get f bombed or whatever. And and yeah, it's the pucker factor exactly. Or you know they f bomb you and they totally miss, and you're like ha ah, troll. Blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> um, are awesome. So we've got two new aerospace, obviously, and actually another one. I'll talk about that more uh, on later. So let's dive into a few um, key things before you know we cut cut this one. Um, changes or internal features. What's going on? Obviously, the uh, most battle mechs uh, or all battle mechs they have obviously the outer skin, and then they've got the internals as well. Uh, you got you got start developing a new system for this. I mean, there's already a, a system in place. Um, you know what? What are you guys doing there as far as this new internal feature? Well, um, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, we we revealed a little bit of this in one of our uh, media releases uh, about a month a month or so ago, where we talked a little bit about how we want to use internal structure as a counterbalance to the legging mechanic that uh, many players like to use, and we stated quite clearly at the time that you know legs are still a valid target. Recognize right now they're a little bit soft in some cases. So we're going to introduce this as a as a balancing mechanic to where the internals have to be defeated before the leg is completely defeated. Um, and we're going to change the behavior such that if you destroy the external armor, you will enable the limp mechanic, and then you have to defeat the internal armor armor as well in order to actually completely destroy the leg. We're going to apply that across the board to the other components of the of the mech and other vehicles. Um, still defining exactly what those will be but um, I actually am working on a, an internal design document and um, much as is done for the build spaces that will be published probably in the next week or so that'll give really detailed overview of what that's all about um, yeah if, if I can just say I mean the feature is more or less it works it's more about the design aspect and making sure one of the things we've always tried to avoid in the game is this feeling of randomness like you don't know why things happen the way they do 
mean, there have been some simulation tank games in the past, for instance, they try to add a lot of randomness to give that simulation feel. Like, you don't always know what's going to happen, but what we want is you always know more or less the result. So you, but you have to deal with the consequences and you have to pay attention to why you got there. So, it's, I mean, it's a little bit different than the tabletop to where everything's random. I mean, and that's the whole point, you know, it's like they're, the whole system is built on that. Whereas, you know, a mechware game, you're the one pointing the weapon. So if you point and shoot and you hit its arm, you're expected to do damage to its arm, not its left leg, right? You know, exactly. it's, um, it's I mean, skill based instead of needing loaded dice in order to hit every time and so forth. Yeah, I mean, yep. some people some people really enjoy that loaded dice effect even in a real-time game, but I think for us the big thing is that I think most games that are real-time action-based games have succeeded because it, it, it is that you're the driver, you know the consequences. Right, and we, you know, as we just said, the challenge has always been to keep the player informed both of their current state and then possible implications of upcoming damage. So the HUD that we have right now in the beta doesn't have anything having to do with internals um, and if we were to introduce the concept of internal damage without actually having a HUD that tells the player that you know you've got damage and um, you know for example if you have a right torso in the right torso you have equipment slots and in those equipment slots you have some of your heat sinks and possibly your enhanced optics and as that internal damage component is reduced in um, its durability then those pieces of equipment that are home there also start sustaining damage. If we have a HUD that um, informs the player of all that information, then they need to either back off and get repaired so that their external armor is back to where it should be, or know that when they lose that internal component that has those pieces of equipment in it, I'm losing three heat sinks and my enhanced optics. You know what's about to happen. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, now, I'm going to skip to actually something I just want to touch on real quick, uh, and it's something you guys um, have released in the past um, with the Solaris Arena, which by the way, for those who don't know, uh, MWL has a awesome Solaris Arena that put a ton of work, um, and I know they're doing a few more changes to try to get that sort of mainstream on more of the servers. But I want to talk about a certain individual you guys had, um, Duncan Fisher. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is... Duncan Fisher. <laughs> man love right there uh <laughs> we just uh we played a, a few weeks ago i believe it was two weeks ago we played a uh, short uh clip at the end of one of our podcasts and uh the the writer of that script was actually the, the one um who contacted us about it but he had duncan fisher do the voice of it you guys have a relationship with him and obviously you got him got in contact do you have any future uh, things you're going to be doing with him i mean if i can ask i mean well before we talk about the the future if there are any plans with him i just want to say again because i know so many uh people that we talk to every single day uh and that we chat with on the forums and facebook are just huge duncan fisher fans uh from mech warrior 4 um and and i was definitely included in that and when you guys uh released solaris arena and you know the first time you walk out and you hear his voice again it was just amazing and and I can easily say that you took it you know steps further than MW4 and um, so I just want to reiterate as I always tell people you know if you're a fan of Duncan Fisher and Solaris Arena you've got to get Crisis Wars and and play this and hear him I mean it's just phenomenal he's hilarious and it's everything that uh, you know you've heard before just better and better 
I hate um, when I spawn and he like tells everyone what Mac. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, hello there, Mad Kitty," and I'm like, "Something." Yeah. You know, I don't want anybody to know I'm in my Timberwolf. You know, come on. Or you know, oh, that's the Raven. I'm like, really. Well, what I would like to know is how did that come about? I mean, was that just like, uh, you know, you guys getting baked one night and thought, "Hey, this would be a great idea." I mean, how did how did the 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 idea of bringing him back into a Mac Warrior product come about? And and uh, what's the relationship there? Uh, well, it's a little bit involved. Um, I'll try and make it. I'll try and give the summary version. Um, the previous lead sound developer, uh, Landros, on the team had some sort of affiliation where he had been in contact with Mr. Ledoux previously. Uh, Landros had since moved on to do other things. He was more interested in and in, in doing different projects, but he had passed those contact details on to me since at the time I was lead sound developer. Uh, I wrote Mr. Ledoux an email and um, inquired as to his interest. And uh, after some back and forth, we worked out a, a reasonable arrangement for both of our parties. And uh, it involves me writing all of the script. And um, you know, I, I drew upon some you know, things that he had said in past MechWare games. I drew upon things that some of the community had suggested. Some of it was my own weird quirky sense of humor um, coming through things I'd love to ha have have him say so I, I built a complete script for him and sent that to him and then over the course of about six months he recorded them in stages and, and was able to supply them to us and then I had to go through and cut it all up and process it but um, actually still have an open relationship with Mr. Ledoux and he had has indicated his interest in continuing to work with us uh, it's just been a matter of getting more script written and determining what we need, what, what we don't have right now for SA, uh, Solaris Arena mode, and then things that we would like to have him say, situations that we never had accounted for before that we needed some backfill on, things that he would need to commentate on. And then as we brought more assets on, things like the Blood Ass, but that didn't exist, or the Fafnir, there are some little things I would love to have him say about those particular assets based on our community's reaction to them and how that you know certain variants uh, have yielded a particular reaction. So we'll get we'll, we'll get Duncan Fisher's take on those. Well, kudos to you for uh, writing the script because really it's just uh, it's classic Duncan Fisher and it's hilarious. Um, and I definitely look forward to hearing more. Okay, we're going to move on to the sort of end of the discussion here, but it's uh, I save this sort of because it's it's in my opinion it's it's one of the coming things you guys are implementing. And it's one of the most important, um, you know, whether you added new assets or you know all that. You guys have incorporated a sharing system. Banking uh, is what it's referred to a lot. Um, now, there's varying opinions about how this should be done, how it's been done in the past, what the community thinks it should be done, and I know that Lear, whether by the way, community, you believe it or not, this dude goes through and reads if not all of them, uh, most of them. You guys are implementing a new banking feature. Can you, can you like elaborate and, and jump down the rabbit's hole a little bit on that to calm the masses per se? With the release of, I don't know whether it was 5.3 or 5.4, um, what we were finding is that people had decided to start effectively creating their own centralized banking using the C-Bill transfer system. 
So they would pick one player in the team and dump all of their money onto them. And then that person would share out to the rest of the team. So it would be basically a coordinated bank for everybody else. The problem with that, of course, is that only people that knew to do that, the, the veterans, would do that. And only the ones that were taught, you know, friends of those people or, or at least in the know would actually receive the money. So what it meant is while it was kind of a cool feature, it led to gross imbalances in a lot of the team games. Um, so one of the things that I really had an idea about, and I have mostly implemented at this point, there's a few bells and whistles we need to go in before we can really release it, is effectively a team bank concept. Um, the main intention of this is supposed to be to flatten the game experience for everybody a little bit without ruining the feeling of you being a galaxy commander versus somebody else that just joined the server who, or is pretty much a noob at the game. So the idea is we don't want people stuck in light assets throughout the entire map if their team's getting their ass kicked, and at the same time we don't want people to join in the last 15 minutes and still be stuck in light assets even though the game's already pretty far along. And um, one of the one of the big things to do that is is effectively a team bank. So whenever you open up your sharing menu, you have a special entity called Team Bank. The idea is you'll be able to give as much money as you want to them or to the bank. Um, and you'll be able to use the bank money yourself when you go to buy an asset. So say you open up the buy menu and you see that uh, you can afford a, um, I don't know, a shadow cat or something like that. But you'd like to be able to buy a mad cat. And you don't have enough money based on your salary. But you'll be able to borrow to some extent based on your rank and some other features. You'll be able to borrow from the team bank and buy that asset. Uh, however, it's more involved than that. It won't be a straight thing that you just use money whenever you feel like it. You'll actually have a penalty. So if you use uh, money from the bank, you'll actually get a penalty to all the money that you make during the game until you pay off your debt, so to speak. It'll like be taking a debt from the bank, which you have to pay off. Um, the idea of making it, it's the player's choice, how much they want to jump up and how useful it is for them, um, while still considering the penalties. The nice thing about that being that it will discourage people just buying the most expensive asset they can and going out and dying, because then they'll effectively waste that and they won't be able to do it again. But if they're smart about it, they use a good asset, they go out there, they do a little bit of damage, then they should be able to earn more than they put into it and actually stay in the higher asset. To go along with this, we're going to have a lot of rebalancing. For instance, we're probably going to drop um, higher rank salaries a bit so that you can't afford anything that you want. You'll have to use the, the bank to some degree. Um, and on top of that, we'll probably be lim limiting how much money you can store in your own personal bank. So, for instance, uh, you may never be able to have more than a couple hundred thousand C-bills. So that means so those people that are just constantly pounding on the top as Galaxy Commanders and doing all the damage, instead of them just making more money, at some point that money will just automatically go into the team bank. So the idea is to really have the system focus on the central entity, the team bank, and everything goes through that. It's the way the team shares their, their success or their failure. You can't hold back this awesomeness. It'll shine through anyway. <laughs> uh, so uh, I've experienced what you guys were talking about in the past as far as uh, yeah, usually sort of... Phil is the one that everybody is giving money so that he can run out in his uh, Mad Cat or whatever, and I'm the one that's running around in a lighter, a medium, because he's running around in that bigger asset. But hold on, hold on. First off, <laughs> come on, be honest. Recently, because it's that's awesome. true. All that. Um, one of the things that I do love is people playing within their means and it sort of looks like what you guys are designing a system is you know your limits you know if you're effective in a particular asset and it's sort of i guess it would drive home to fight 
fight and be in a particular asset that you are good at and that you know um the better you are at that asset the more reward you have and then you know obviously you can you can move up but i definitely i, I can't wait to see this like actually in game and and you know being able to use it but i, I do foresee at least in the past um that that system definitely being abused and uh you know not everyone knew, knew about it and uh it was one of those things that uh, I like the way you guys are taking as far as incorporating a rank and, you know, as far as maybe there's a limit. So it would definitely control the amount of assets on the field, but also the, the quality of assets, you know, like you're not going to see everyone running around in blood asps and, right. you know. The idea is to also give, if you are, you know, a lower or a medium ranked player and you want to have that one instance of being able to get into something bigger, you're going to have that opportunity without it being something that's selectively granted by, you know, a prejudiced opinion for someone who actually holds the money. Um, it'll be something that you, that's you and the server bank interacting um, for that particular transaction, not necessarily that you would need to, as a newer player or an unknown player, um, need to beg uh, someone who may or may not choose to, to give you that money. Uh, in parallel with this change is we're going to we're taking steps to accentuate more the the reward system for shooting um, I guess the best way to explain it is if there's differences in rank so all else being the same if I'm in uh, a Puma and you're in a Puma and I'm a galaxy commander and you're a cadet and I shoot you and you shoot me you make more money for the shot that you hit me with as opposed to the shot I hit you with and that's gonna be a change um, there already is some of that mechanic in the game now. We're going to uh, make that more, like I said, accentuated so that there will be more of a reward for shooting players that are of your equal or greater rank. So it encourages those players who are already at a high rank to, I don't know, necessarily lay off the lower end players, but make them less lucrative to farm. That's the best way to put that. Yeah, it should help yeah. significantly balance SA mode as well, where that's a huge issue. If you're somebody that's not at the top, you have to have a way to catch up. And if you're at the top, we want to make it harder for you as well. So it's not just a clear sailing experience. This everyone, sounds like... Go ahead. I was going to say, so everyone focused on deity. <laughs> yeah. Evil in SA. This sounds like... changes coming as well that call this out, so you'll be able to more easily identify those players who are at the top. It's not going to be a guessing game. Sounds like a really good solution. I think the thing that sticks out to me the most with this is um, coming into a game where there's 15 or 20 minutes left. Because, I mean, it's really hard to time joining a server right at the beginning. And, uh, you know, that hap happens countless times where you come in and there's a good 15 or 20 minutes. And, you know, you can only jump into a light mech. That's been really frustrating. So I think this is a, a really promising sounding. And I look forward to it being imp implemented and being able to experience that. Right. I mean, there's... It's, yeah, I don't want to say it's going to be a magic bolt the first time out of the gate, but you know, I, I recognize that if you, you know, you're joining the last 15 minutes of a 60 minute round, you don't want to be stuck in lights, but at the same time, why should you necessarily be granted immediate access to the salts? Like there should be, there has to be some sort of uh, middle ground there that we're, that's acceptable to meet. Absolutely. The last 15 minutes of the game, then just play through the 15 minutes and then join the next game at the beginning like everybody else who has already been there. So, all right. At this time, I'd like to thank you, uh, William, for being on the show yet again. I'm sure we'll have you uh, on the show in the future, 
and Morgan, it's always nice to have someone new and, and I'm sure we can schedule uh, you two back on the show. And so I'd just like to say thank you again for all your hard work, your effort from someone who plays the mod and enjoys it, someone who's actually helped contribute and knows all the, the has hassle and headaches. And uh, we, we do you know appreciate uh, what you guys have given to the community and continue and plan on giving back to the community. All right, guys, that's it. We hope you enjoyed today's show. This has been your local No Guts, No Galaxy MechWare podcast. This is Phil. This is Darren. Until next time, MechWarriors.